This is a WTF podcast experience. Oh, I'd love that to switch. I'd love to not be the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. I'd love the person who decides they're going to run their first marathon ever or they're going to go and run an ultra or they're just going to do a couch to 5k run to actually turn up to a physio beforehand and say, okay, this is my goal, this is what I want to do. How do I get there without being broken? Welcome to Taming the Ferrets, New Zealand's most awarding business podcast. A collection of ferrets is called a business and here on New Zealand's most awarding business podcast, we are taming the ferrets once and for all. Entrepreneurs, leaders, inspirational figureheads, we welcome them all to inform, educate, motivate and inspire. My name's Freddie Bennett, entrepreneur, author, world record holder and wannabe podcast host. And today, everybody, we have a real treat for you. I am delighted to welcome Jacinta Horan, the owner of Beretta Physio. Jacinta, welcome to the Taming the Ferret Studio. It's a pleasure to have you here. That's great to be here. Thanks. Um, So to to get us started off, for anyone that isn't aware of of, of you and your business, tell us a bit about yourself. Okay, well, uh, I'm a business owner, Um, been at Beretta Physio for 18 years now, Um, specialist sports physio, and I'm a wife and a mum of three kids. Amazing. And it's a running a running theme here on Taming the Ferrets. I always say we, we are going to get uh, Jacinda into, into the podcast studio, but today I actually think we have someone better. And, and Jacinda, <laughs> I'm so excited about this conversation. I know we're going to cover some, some amazing areas, but, but firstly, to get us kicked off, why, why physiotherapy? Uh, when I was a teenager, I played a lot of sport, spent a little bit of time injured, uh, spent a bit of time at physio, and at that stage, just had a physio who I thought was fantastic, and I guess she gave me some ideas on what I might do in life, uh, knew I could never sit in an office all day long uh, staring at a computer, so it seemed like a great option for me. Uh, I was always pretty... Uh, average at sport, average at everything really when it came to sport, um, played a lot of different sports but was never fantastic at anything so seemed like a great way for me to get to um, represent New Zealand or get to the top level of, of something uh, without having to be the athlete myself. <laughs> and have you always lived in New Zealand? Uh, yep, I was raised here. I went overseas for four years after I finished uni, literally left the day after I graduated, um, just about missed my flight, uh, headed off to Portugal, lived there for a couple of years and then spent a couple of years in Ireland, uh, you know, with plenty of months travelling around in between uh, and been back in New Zealand since 2004. Amazing. And so was it the case then that you, you came back to New Zealand and then straight away were you thinking... I want to, to, to start this business. Did you always have this vision or is it something that kind of that, that grew as it came about? Yeah, uh, certainly wasn't ever in the absolute plan. Uh, when I was living overseas, I was working in a job that uh, I had a boss who was pretty interesting and certainly made work life pretty challenging. And I uh, realised that when she was at work, I didn't really enjoy work. And when she wasn't at work, I actually really enjoyed it. And uh, so that probably is what got me into uh, thinking about having my own practice. And uh, at the time, my then uh, partner, fiance, um, certainly encouraged me in that space. And we went travelling through South America and actually bought the clinic when we were in Bolivia, sight unseen. So pretty random and a little bit of a risk, I guess. But, uh, you know, the best things work out like that, I think. So came home and we had 10 days to move to Tauranga. Uh, never lived here before. And, and learn how to run a business. So it was challenging times. So 
can I just replay that then? So you're saying that you the the, the Taronga clinic that that you have now effectively, or, or certainly the, the 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 ethos of it, you bought that without seeing it when you were in South America. Yeah, yep, that's correct. How how <laughs> did that come about? What was going through your your mind at that time? Uh, we'd looked at a couple, and we'd sort of uh, I guess selected some places in New Zealand that we were interested in living. Having lived in Ireland for a couple of years, we were pretty keen for some sunshine, so we really looked at Tauranga, uh, Hawke's Bay, Nelson, and and we had looked at a couple of other practices. My parents had travelled up and and gone and seen a couple of them, but we'd decided we'd just wait until we got home. And then uh, there was just something about this one that seemed to be a good fit um, and I actually didn't have that much to do with it at all. My husband had spoken to the current owner that had some conversations around it and then we had a good look into it and and uh, decided to go for it. It was just a small little practice at the time, just sort of one and a half physios. But it's a, it's a big commitment and it's that, that shift from, from, from being a physio to, to a business owner then by the sounds oh, of Oh yeah, absolutely. It was a huge shift. And I mean, I'd never even worked in New Zealand before because I literally left the day after I graduated. So um, even being a physio here was uh, a new thing for me to get used to, let alone uh, the thought of uh, wages and tax and, you know, all of the usual things, let alone um, managing staff and everything else. So certainly it was a really steep learning curve, but... Uh, one that has been a fantastic journey along the way. And did it ever feel overwhelming? And, and the reason I ask that is because we, we speak to a lot of people on this podcast who have either wanted to start a business or they have a dream of starting a business. And they're always saying, I like the fun stuff, the cool stuff, you know, <laughs> the, 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 the building the business and the websites and the pictures. But then, then they're like, oh, tax and, and employees and all this thing. And did you ever have those moments when you just thought, what what are we doing? Is this too difficult? Yeah, certainly. Look, I, I guess I have one, one vivid memory from the very start. When we first moved back here, we rented a place in the Mount. Uh, and I remember going for a walk along the beach with my husband at the time and um, having a discussion with him about how freaked out I was in four days I was going to be a business owner and how, what on earth was I going to do, you know. Um, and... Look, I don't think there's any great answers to that. I think you just get into it and, and you learn along the way. And, and um, I mean, I always had a good work ethic and I've always loved people and working with people. And, and so uh, you find your feet doesn't mean we don't make mistakes and have made plenty of them along the way. Um, but you learn from all of those and, and, and we continue to. I think after 18 years, I would feel like I've seen everything in business um, and I, I still get amazed at times in good ways and bad ways. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't think there's a recipe to it. It's just it's just taking every opportunity you can and um, and if something doesn't work out well, something else will come out of it, I think. It's Definitely. And were, were there any particular mistakes, if you look back, where you think that was a real... Uh, let's be positive and say a real, I was going to say a shit show, but uh, more of a, lo- a learning moment, shall uh, should we call it, to, uh, to look at the, uh, the glass. Sure, <laughs> sure. Um, oh, look, I mean, certainly probably the biggest challenges over the years have been from a staffing perspective, and, and we're really lucky. We've got some incredible staff and have had some incredible staff over the years, which is awesome, but uh, certainly made uh, mistakes in the hiring space and uh, made mistakes with managing staff and, and, and how we do that. And really, uh, really continue to learn in that space probably more than anything I I think as physios often and and maybe also as a female but don't particularly love conflict and never have and uh, probably for many years shied away from that and uh, probably at the detriment to how I've led in some ways um 
guess I've always led by example. That's always been my attempt. Um, and I've had to learn some strategies probably to be better in some of those other spaces over the over the years. And I, I think that's probably has been and continues to be my biggest challenge. What do you think is is a good leader or what, what makes a good leader, do you think? Look, I mean, I think we need to be empathetic. I think we need to understand uh, our, our staff or whoever we're leading from a personal and life perspective, not just a work perspective, what helps make them tick um, and how we can work together to get the best outcomes. And, and that's not just the best outcomes for our business, but clearly the best outcomes for them. And um, having worked in a role where I haven't been particularly happy, to me, I, I want people to come to work every day and love what they do. And if, if they don't love what they do, then we'll help them try and get to a point that they do, or we'll help them get somewhere else where they really will be a better fit. Um, and I think that's really important in small business as well. You want to be surrounded by people who are in a really positive space. That's my natural um I guess sense of self is is certainly being a really positive person and and I, I probably battle a bit in a space where someone really struggles and that's not their natural way of being uh, and so working together to make sure that everyone's really happy I think that brings a great vibe to work I think that makes everyone enjoy being there and I think that really shows to our, our patients as well when they come into the clinic mm. uh, which is really important to me so if I stop enjoying what I'm doing then then I'm out at that point uh, I love that and I think um, over the last couple of years I've tried to take on an attitude um, and I'll say it the, the polite way uh, in case there's any kids listening to this but um, it, it's a hell yes rather than, a, than an F yes um, attitude and someone said to me once in, in life and business they, they asked themselves do I really feel like hell yes about this decision and, and people are saying like life is short we, we never know what's around the corner if you don't think about something whether that's working with someone or going to work or doing your job or anything around that and if you're not thinking hell yes then then why are you doing it and and would you say that's that's something that you see in in your business it comes down to it we spend a lot of hours at work in a week and a year and our lifetime and if you're not enjoying it then that makes for a pretty uh tough life i reckon um and so uh i think you've You've got to enjoy what you do, and if you don't, you've got to look at it and say, "Okay, what's next? What else can I try?" You know, every door that closes, another one opens, and and uh, I've had plenty of times in my life like that, and and I think just you know, greater and better opportunities come out there if you stick yourself out into the world and and uh, and, and are open to those opportunities. So. Uh, and, and I think for me, when it comes down to things like high performance sport, that's why I do that part of work as well. It's the one time in life that I just get to be me doing one thing. Um, and I, and that area of work really inspires me and it keeps me interested in doing all the other aspects of work that I do. I love it. And I think because because obviously you guys, it's 18 years that you've been been running now. I wanted to, 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 to keep on the, the employee point for, for a second longer because a lot of people that, that we talk to say, this would be really easy if it wasn't dealing with people <laughs> and personality. If we were all robots, it would be fine. But unfortunately, we have these hearts and these brains and everything else. Um, would you say that, how, how, how should we say it politely, employee challenges have changed over the last 18 years in terms of the uh, the issues people might bring to work the things they might not like to do um I don't want to say the word snowflake generation but if it was looking a bit snowy outside 
Yeah, and have you noticed any, any kind of uh, yeah, any changes? Oh, yeah, look, I mean, I think like uh, the majority of people that have been in business for a while would certainly have to stick their hand up and say that things have changed and and uh, people have changed. And, and sometimes I, I guess I look at that and think, you know, have they got some things right? You know, have these younger generations got a better concept of, uh, and they talk work-life balance, I, I probably struggle with that concept a little bit, but um, have they got a better concept on, on what a good working week is versus, you know, those of us that maybe have been around for a little bit longer, um, where we probably spend more time working um, than that generation does. We probably place a bit more importance on it. Uh, it certainly is probably a little bit of the fabric of how we were brought up, right, was mm. um, work hard and, and feel some real self-success uh, as a result of that, I think. Uh and, and I think that's different in this generation. As I say, some of that, maybe they've got that right and we've got that a little bit wrong. But I also, uh, the flip side of that becomes w when they want to really achieve things, uh, if you don't put in all that extra effort, then, you know, your chances of achieving that are, are pretty low. And, and it really becomes hard to try and uh, instill that, I think, in in some of those people. Uh, and, and I guess it's a real mix between reality and expectations and and how those two mm. things work out. And, and so that, to me, has probably been the biggest challenging space. My husband always says to me, you've just got to remember everyone's not the same as you. They're not the same as you. And I'm like, yeah, okay, okay, okay. Um, but, but sometimes it's hard to s take yourself out of everything that you know and you've learnt and put yourself in their shoes and, and uh, work out what's right for them. And um, so, yeah, certainly management of... Younger staff, I think we just have to continue to evolve as, and that makes me feel really old. I'm gonna, you know, not um, at all. But I'm that older generation, um, uh, I think anyone over 40s, right? We're, we we were raised slightly differently in that concept, and and um, and so we have to work out a different way of of um, working with those stuff. It's true, and it's difficult to have this conversation without sounding really old. Because um, <laughs> I was going I was speaking to a young person yeah. the other day, like I'm with my bloody walking stick or something. <laughs> um, and it's funny because it's so easy to talk about generational gaps yep. and you know, how how younger people approach work rather than less young people, should we say? Um, but then a couple of minutes ago, we were talking about just saying hell yes to things in life. So um, say I, say I was speaking to, to a couple of people slightly younger than me, and they were like, older generations did something they hated for 40 years because they thought they had no choice. Why would we do that? Why would you do something that you're not enjoying for so long because that's what you have to do if we're saying hell yes? So, so I do see both both sides of Absolutely. it. I think it's, it's, it's what they call the future of work, isn't it? And it's that so, so much more of a, of a, you know, of a fluid... Um, way of, of, of managing staff. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, a change change is a scary concept, right? And the and the more comfortable we get with the fact that that is part of everyday life, then then the better we do. And I look back actually when I was at Otago University in my last year down there, I went to uh, one of my best friends' twenty firsts, and his father stood up and gave a speech and said, oh, "I don't know what all these people talk about this young generation these days, and you know, uh, they're not the same as we were, and blah blah blah." Well, I think this is a pretty great generation, and and I have never forgotten that. And then I think, ah, oh, so they thought that about us. <laughs> so then we just think it about the next group. So, yeah. you know, I think that's just a natural part of life. No, that's, uh, that's very true. And, and I wanted to, to, to shift slightly because you talked about the, the link with, with high-performance sport. And, and what's your, your involvement in that been? 
Yeah, so uh, when I was first overseas, I actually was really fortunate uh, to get some opportunities with international sport at a really early stage in my career, which you know certainly made a big difference when I came back to New Zealand. And, and I was lucky enough just after our eldest uh, boy was born to end up with Black Ferns 15s uh, job. And uh, I did a combination of that and women's sevens um, for the following nine years working primarily with New Zealand rugby and rather than in clinic work. Uh, and so I travelled around the world for those nine years, uh, went to a lot of tournaments, a lot of World Cups, uh, went to the Rio Olympics and, and all round had pretty amazing experiences. Certainly uh, those uh, girls who are now women are, uh, have been a massive part of my family life and certainly a big part of my kids' lives uh, when they were younger particularly. And uh, that was a fantastic working environment to be a part of, certainly a lot of challenges along the way as female sport went from a really amateur sport to you know, professional space uh, and it continues to be challenged in that space. But uh, after the Rio Olympics, as much as I loved that role, uh, it was a lot of time away from home, so well over 100 days a year realistically away from home from my kids and uh, it was always pretty hard to leave and as much as I am a big believer in letting them see that you can achieve anything and, and, and that they can do okay when mum's away for a period of time I did find that increasingly difficult as they got older and so decided it was time to finish up with that full time and went back into the clinic environment and, and uh, became a specialist sports physio uh, over that time so that took me two and a half, three years to achieve. Uh, and uh, from there, I now just do high-performance sport work on a campaign basis. So I uh, went to the Tokyo Olympics last year, just came home from the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham uh, and some youth games and, and various other bits and pieces in between. So I work with any of our high-performance athletes that are based regionally, uh, not a huge number of them in Tauranga, but uh, often they come and go back home. Um, and so see them when they're down here and then head away on campaigns. Amazing! I love I love the way you just sprinkled in, oh, just the Rio Olympics there, and just uh, just Tokyo, and oh, just the Commonwealth Games. And love, what what's it like being being at an Olympic Games? Oh, it's amazing! I absolutely love that environment. I love uh, I love the work. I love the people that we work with. Uh, in that high performance realm, I really enjoy the multidisciplinary work. I love working with people from other professions, and and you learn so much from them, and and. Uh, and I love how much we can support athletes in that space, achieve their goals, and that's you know really what we're there for. Um, but we have a lot of fun at the same time, and and really great crew of people and people I guess over the years who have really challenged themselves and continue to learn and grow. Uh, whether you're an athlete or you're a um, staff member in that space, and and I guess it's that environment that I really love seeing people uh, at their best and and pushing boundaries all the time. And I, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of everything around that. Uh, you know, pushing, pushing expectations, pushing boundaries, and, and, and doing things that, that we thought we we couldn't do at some stage. And, and I wanted to touch on the the area of, of mindset. And we talk about the the high performance mindset and athletes. Do you believe that people are born with that high performance mindset, or is it something that you think can be developed by anyone? I think there's a mix. I think some people are absolutely born with it, uh, just like some people are, we would say, born leaders. Um, and 
and we see them stand out uh, and they might stand out in an individual sport easily enough in a team sport and they may end up being the captain uh, and so we certainly see that and we see others who really struggle in that space and need a lot of support but they can still get there and they can still achieve uh, the same fantastic results and perhaps in team sport that's a little bit easier because you can blend in amongst the group and you've got others there to support you maybe um, throughout that process a little bit more than you see in individual sport but uh, I I certainly think that there's a mix and uh, even our absolute best athletes who are incredible in that high performance space you know they've got all those one percenters absolutely perfect there's still other areas of their life that help support their sporting uh, achievements you know that they can work on that that might take them away from that space mm. you know it might be more the relaxation the stress reduction the all of that side of it mm. versus those that you know really need to work on uh yeah i guess the normal things we think of when we think about high performance definitely are you aware of the work of uh, tim grover at all have you heard of him oh, i haven't uh so tim grover it's it is uh, i'll show you the book afterwards so Tim Grover was the personal trainer of people like Michael Jordan Kobe Bryant a lot of the the NBA guys and he just released a couple of books um, one on winning and one on he's called Relentless about that high performance mindset and how you know why people like Michael Jordan Kobe Bryant were were such high performers because they were relentless and he taught and I I love his work because he talks about a lot of things around I think it's easy in the Instagram generation just to be kind of positive thinking and you can do it and everything else and he said a lot of these athletes they're they could be brutal and they can be selfish and they almost have or they they do have this almost dark side to to their personality where they have to be so single focused to 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 achieve that one percent and is that something that you've either experienced yourself or that you've seen yeah absolutely look I think that's what I find really interesting in the um transition space when many athletes become coaches and uh, particularly in team sports it's maybe less common in individual sports but uh, what makes a fantastic high performance athlete does not necessarily make a fantastic high performance coach and uh, all of those attributes where they have to be uh, somewhat selfish they have to be individually driven they they don't necessarily have to consider uh, the concepts and feelings and thoughts of others Uh, those things may help them achieve everything uh, from an athlete perspective but certainly will make being a coach or a business owner or wherever else they go in their transition post-sport really challenging right Mm. Uh, so I find I find that probably is is where I see that real gap quite significantly. I think we, we hear about that a lot in the workplace as well people who are good team members and good employees and then they get promoted because they're good at their job yep. and then they take on that leadership role and and they struggle because it is a totally different way of of thinking behaving people think it's just a title but but really it's a whole a whole other ball game oh absolutely and no different from physio you know there's plenty of amazing physios out there but that doesn't necessarily make you great in a high performance space where you can cope with pressure you can cope with uh, what's thrown at you from a coach perspective the day before the pinnacle event and they've been training for their entire life you know all of those soft skills that we talk about that are so essential and I think those skills are harder to learn I think uh, to a degree you have those or you don't I'm sure you can get better at them uh, but I think they're really important to achieve Mm. uh, certainly in that um, high performance space from a medical perspective and I wanted to 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 ask about family as well because here on on taming the ferrets I always insult my family by saying <laughs> my family's like a ferret and it is something that has to be tamed and but we and I think we again we see it in the high performance life that we 
people that are very you know work hard play hard focused determined they have the, the, their work and their ambition and, and family talks is is family is a key part of that and you talked about the the time you were away from your family and were there feelings of of guilt or sacrifice either way and how how does that how does uh, yeah. that equate to that high performance way of life yeah absolutely i mean i think that's part of being a working mother i don't think you ever escape those uh feelings and uh and i try i guess and look at the really positive aspects that i've I and my kids have gained um, from that and things as little as I went back to work uh, part-time when our eldest boy was three months old and I remember the day before I went back to work I was totally unprepared for it and I didn't know how I was how, how I was going to manage it um, but I'd only had the business for a couple of years and so I knew I had to get back uh, and then day one he goes into um, daycare or at home daycare and he came home that night and slept through the night for the first time he had in three months and I thought oh wow okay maybe this is a good thing uh, and so for the negative challenges or the, the, the hard bits that come out of something there's always something really positive and I, and I think if you can focus on those a little bit rather than just thinking about uh, the negative parts of it. And, and I also like to think that hopefully we're really good examples for our kids and, and hopefully, you know, my daughter grows up and sees that actually females can do whatever they want to do, which was certainly instilled in me from my mum from uh, the youngest age possible. And, and uh, you know, I, I want to be a great example for that and I want my kids to see that if you have some goal or some ambition, if you work hard and you're clever about it and you make the most of opportunities then you get a shot at making that happen uh doesn't mean you definitely achieve it but mm. uh you can certainly do everything to to hopefully um put you on the right path I guess to achieving that and I, I think that's that's really important and and every now and again when I look back and think oh, I'm not home at three o'clock when my kids get home from school and I don't make it back there till three thirty or four o'clock uh actually you know they've become incredibly independent because they go home and they get themselves sorted and and they're in a good place by the time I get home and that's pretty cool uh so maybe they're a bit less reliant on me um than they would be if I was there all the time doing everything for them so you know there's a compromise to everything and I don't think we ever get that perfect and I, I think the sooner working mums particularly understand that um and and get rid of some of those concepts of guilt uh, I think the better I think you're you're totally right, and with a lot of those areas of of guilt and sacrifice, uh, I, I used to feel super guilty. I, I'd go and do it. I ran across the Sahara Desert. I did other things. I was supposed to do challenges like rowing across the Atlantic, and then you, you kind of think, well, how is this going to work at home? And you're kind of saying, how how would you feel if I wasn't here for for three months? Are you okay with that? Um, and then then you worry when your partner says, yes, that's fine. Off you go. Yeah. Don't, don't don't hurry back. And I'm like, oh, okay. Then. Um, but I think I speak to, to a lot of, of, of working mums and, and working parents and they say there's there's different levels of, of guilt as such. Because I know a lot of people that effectively they put their dreams on hold because they said, I, for whatever reason, I want to, to spend time with, with my kids or be at home. I'm not going to follow the dream. And I think if it's such a I don't know the, the the correct answer to it because I think if if you go too far in another direction then you're going to hold resentment which yeah. I think is, is not a good thing to have yeah absolutely I, and, and I guess one you've got to have a supportive partner in that space or it would be really challenging and I've always been really fortunate to have that so that is certainly fantastic um, and secondly I think if I'm a happy person then I'm a better mum and if I'm really battling because uh, you know maybe I've put 
some ambitions that I had on hold uh, and, and said I just can't do this for the next 18 years of my life then then is that making me a better mum just because I'm around more then uh, for me personally I, I, I know that's not necessarily the case and everyone's really different in that space on the flip side of that I know that at the moment me being involved in full-time high-performance sport uh, as much as I would love to do it is is not the right place for me to be because it's not the right place for my family and therefore uh, it's not what's going to make me happy now and so I guess I've learnt that the compromise of stepping back from that uh, to some degree um, has has really made me happy in an overall uh, health and, and life space and family space uh, and and the negative is that is, uh, you know, whilst I'm doing what I love, you know, there's something that one day I'll potentially do again that I will uh, love more. So it's not that that dream ever goes away. It just sits there and maybe there'll be another opportunity some stage in the future uh, when it's the right time for me to step back into that space. And do you have any particular goals or, or dreams or ambitions that you've you've got kind of in the back of your mind thinking, yeah, I want to I want to make that happen one day? Yeah, sure. I mean, from a work perspective, number one, I'd like to be at the Paris Olympics in a couple of years' time. That's uh, certainly on my radar. So uh, I'll continue to work towards that space. Amazing. Uh, and and I guess for me, I I do find a lot of satisfaction in helping others achieve their goals so I love that part of being a business owner I love seeing uh, my staff get to where they want to get to and and Tokyo Olympics was a perfect example of that we've got a photo with uh, four of us over there so me and three other physios from here who uh, all worked for me over uh, previous years and so four of us from little old Beretta Physio at the Tokyo Olympics you know working with different teams in different countries I and mean, this amazing um, sense of satisfaction in that for me and, and uh, so in the meantime seeing other people achieve that really uh, I guess it's kind of a roundabout way of, of me achieving some goals too. I wanted to take a quick pause in today's episode to tell you some very exciting news. We are honoured to have the owner of the Bay of Plenty Business News here in the studio, Mr. Alan Nieburn. Welcome, sir. Hey, thanks, Freddie. Thanks for that welcome. We've got some really exciting stuff coming up in this month's issue. That's the September issue of Bay of Plenty Business News. I knew you were going to ask me about that, so I thought I might as well charge straight into it. Hey, I don't know if uh, if you live anywhere near uh, near Bethlehem. Or Tapuna, Freddie? Yes, Alan, I do. <laughs> well done. I'll give it some context because you're probably starting to wonder why I'm asking that. No, we're not asking people to stalk you, to find you, and track you down. Not at all. Hey, the reason I mentioned that is because we're featuring this month uh, a background story on the new Tolrico Eastern Link Road. Uh, for those of you that don't live in that area, you won't know anything about it. You may not be even aware that it's happening. But for those of you who live near the Wairua River, uh, you may have well seen a lot of activity there. There's big stuff happening behind the scenes. So September issue, Bay of Plenty Business News. You can find out a bit more about what's happening in this massive scheme. Alan, I need to get that information in my life. If I was going to go online to read the Bay of Plenty Business News, what website would I go to? That's easy. B-O-P businessnews.co.nz I'm there now. Thank you, Alan. And now back to the episode. I wanted to dig a little bit deeper into actually the the, the, the minutiae of, of, of your job as well. And with, I think, people's physical activity is so polarised these days, like so many things. You'll get the people who are you know, running 100 kilometres a week <laughs> and the people who are barely running a bath and, and these kinds of... Do you feel there's 
what's the, the one thing that, that anyone can do, do you think, to, to improve their, their physical health or at least to try and, and, and keep themselves off the physio table? Look, I think in New Zealand, and probably a lot of it comes down to our system with ACC, is we've got a really reactive model of health. Uh, and so we, as a general rule, you don't see a physio in New Zealand unless you're injured. Uh, and I'd love that to switch. I'd love to not be the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. I'd love the person who decides they're going to run their first marathon ever or they're going to go and run an ultra or they're just going to do a couch to 5k run to actually turn up to a physio beforehand and say okay this is my goal this is what I want to do how do I get there without being broken because I hate being the bearer of bad news uh, and uh, telling someone that their dream they've been working to for however long is is going out the window it was certainly for the foreseeable future it's uh, never a great place to be in and it would be so much nicer to work with people proactively and really help them uh, achieve whatever goal they have from an activity perspective and and I think starting off small for anyone that is inactive is is hugely beneficial and once you get into that space and get some routine around it and and start to feel the positive benefits from it uh, you know that can be massively rewarding which is fantastic but making those first steps is certainly really challenging. And, and to me, I guess I'm really passionate about female health, female athlete health, and, and by athlete I mean anything from the weekend warrior through to the elite athlete, and, uh, and, and as well as the development adolescent space. And, and I think we've got a lot of work to do to ensure that the general public have some concept of all the information we know now in the high-performance realm. Uh, and, 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 you know, that's things from making sure our adolescent females are actually healthy when they're doing sport through to our you know 40 and 50 year old females and who largely go for walks and run and do some cardio exercise but actually maybe they should be in the gym lifting some weights and getting strong and changing that narrative uh from skinny to strong you know a, a lot of that work I'm really passionate about uh and and I think we've got a long way to go until the general public is educated in that space. Mm. And, and the female sport um, area was, was uh, something that I wanted to, to delve a bit deeper into. I know that's, it's, we could go in about a hundred different di- <laughs> directions here. That's a whole podcast series all on its own. Um, but, but firstly, how, what still needs to, well, I suppose, yeah, look at it in a positive way. How, how far do you feel female sport has come in, in the last 10 years and, and, and how much further do, or what more do we need to be doing for it as well? Uh, look, I think we've come a huge way and, and I think we've got a lot uh, to thank and look back at all those athletes for so many years before who who worked incredibly hard. They you know, they competed in uh, for New Zealand at pinnacle events worldwide and they did that while they worked and had kids and studied and, you know, uh, and for not a cent. Uh, and they did a fantastic job and they're brilliant role models in that space. And, and now we're starting to evolve into this area of professionalism and some sports are clearly uh, further ahead than others in that space. Uh, and that will continue to evolve over the coming years. And, you know, there's plenty of queries from pay to support and services, you know, Every different aspect of female sport could be pulled apart. But uh, to me, I guess, when I went into female sport, I, I didn't actually at that stage have a particular interest in female sport. I'd, I'd spent years doing men's rugby particularly uh, and until this opportunity arose. And I, I guess that's where I started to get passionate about it. And, and I love the people that are involved in it that want to be involved in women's sport 
because historically people have done it as a stepping stone to men's sport. And uh, I don't think you ever get the same outcome and the same result. Uh, it's not saying there's anything wrong with that, and I totally understand why that happens. Uh, but the people that are really passionate about female sport particularly, they leave their role whenever they finish up in, in a better place and I think they contribute a massive amount uh, for the time that they're there and uh, you know I think that's hugely important. Mm. And and you mentioned um, say uh, adolescent girls as well and we know with you know, the, the growth of, of social media and Instagram um, probably not going to be a newsflash to everyone but I am not an adolescent girl so I'm, uh, I, I'm not going to speak with expertise in this area but from what I've, I've, I've sort of read and, and the people I've spoken to there's a lot of pressure um, around body image, around behaviours, around you know wanting to do sport or not wanting to do sport. And and what do you think we can do in this space in, in terms of more more work with adolescents and more work in schools? Yeah, look, I think there's a huge amount of work to be done in that space. And I know Sport New Zealand is starting to try and address that uh, to some degree, certainly with some educational information at least. Uh, we know that about 50% of our teenage girls drop out of sport in college, and that's uh, a huge statistic we'd love to turn around. And there's obviously a lot of different components to that. Uh, and then at the other end of the spectrum, we have these young female athletes uh, you know, in their teenage years who are incredible uh, at their sport. Uh, but there's equally a lot of challenges around that. Their entire identity is based around that sport uh, rather than uh, around all the other aspects that you know a, a non-athlete uh, would base their, their life around. Um, and we know there's huge social pressures, certainly from a body image perspective. Uh, and if we think about the young female athlete and her three friends at school who are not athletes, um, you know, she may eat the same as they eat, and clearly that is not going to be okay for her athletic uh, demands that are placed on her body um, that has some huge impacts from a health perspective around energy availability and lots of different aspects uh, in that space and we've just started trying to get out to some schools and do some work in that space uh, but it's a big job and and how you uh, get information that we know and research that we know and disseminate that in a way to the public that is actually useful and relevant and in a way that means something to a 15, 16, 17-year-old girl uh, is is certainly a lot of work to be done in that space. And do you feel there's more mental pressure as well of things like uh, like anxiety, like uh, a pressure to be a, a high performer on the, on the sports field at home and at school and everything else? Yep, I think that's changed hugely over the last, even the last five or ten years, and and that happens as our professionalism of sport occurs at a younger and younger ages. You know, we see academies and sports starting at ten, eleven. Uh, we see competitions that put massive pressure on um, or focus solely on winning at those younger age groups. You know, we joined sport because it was fun and it was great for teamwork and we learn life skills and, and then we become a teenager and actually everything sort of flips on its head. Uh, and if you're not great at a sport, well, we're, you know, the social sport element's almost kind of gone and, and I think it's really important that that still exists for those that don't want to be elite athletes. They just want to play some sport and be active and healthy and have some fun with some friends. Uh, and so there's a real place for both those aspects. Uh, um, I think the pressure in those uh, top-end athletes in their adolescence really comes uh, 
from the whole concept of having to win and their entire identity being based around their sport, they then get injured. It's a real challenging space to be when your entire life is focused on sport and all of a sudden you can't do that sport and we wonder why these kids really struggle from a mental perspective and that's absolutely a massive part of it and we also know that those kids are often pretty academic as well they're often quite type a personalities so they've got pressure from an academic perspective pressure from a sport perspective often pressure from a home perspective to succeed uh you know and 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 we'll see some some of those teenagers don't even enjoy their sport anymore they just don't know how to quit it they don't know how to pull away from it they don't know what's left of their life uh, when that happens and that's a scary thought for a you know 14 15 16 year old kid it's hard enough for an Olympic athlete when they're transitioning out of their professional career let alone a a teenager who's who's going through enough uh, changes in life already so Mm. it's a really challenging space and and how we try and support that and ensure our uh, teenagers particularly have some other parts to their life as well as their their sporting successes is hugely important. Mm. And so if if Jacinda uh, called up, phoned you up after this, and <laughs> probably the first thing she'd say would be like, how on earth did you get on that podcast? I'm so jealous. <laughs> but after that, um, she, she if she said to you, uh, Jacinda, you're in charge of sport for kids across New Zealand. You've got a blank check. Do what you want. What would you do? <laughs> wow. Okay, that's a big question. Um, I'll put you on the spot. Okay, there. you <laughs> really have. Uh, okay, well, let's talk injuries first because that's my bread and butter. Um, we would roll out standard injury prevention programs in our schools so that when our kids are doing sport whether it's in PE or weekend sport or club sport that they did a warm-up that was useful for their sport and helped um, reduce their injury rates and that would be amazing to see because we are seeing a greater and greater rates of significant injuries in our kids and adolescents that uh, then result in them dropping out of sport as well as there being huge health uh, implications so that would be my number one starting point Mm -hmm. number two uh, I mean I think the ongoing encouragement of sports and schools is massive and I think that becomes challenging when there's so much uh, pressure on our teachers time Uh, and and having teachers involved in sport and in coaching sport I think is huge because there's always a limitation as to the amount of parents depending on the school that you're at uh, the amount of parent support you can get and I see at schools where there's huge uh, teacher input and really positive work in sports space and a real encouragement of kids to stay in sport at whatever level that may be. And so I think I think that's hugely beneficial. Somewhere in there, we've got to change some of the education space as well, and, and that's bigger than Ben Hur, but uh, the thought of... Um, you know, the Ministry of Education changing uh, some of the content that we teach our kids in school in the PE and health space. I mean, that's an amazing opportunity to educate around prevention and, and, uh, of injuries around health and what a healthy athlete looks like. Uh, and, you know, that information has changed a lot in recent years, so it's no surprise that it's not in current curriculums. But it would be amazing to see some of that stuff get into current curriculums. If our kids learn that when they're, you know, at intermediate, when that when that stuff is solidified when they're at college, that you know they've got a head start. They they become an ath- an adult who who already understands a lot more around activity and health uh, than 
you know, has happened in previous years. Amazing. I love it. Well, I think that you've got the job. So uh, congratulations. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm sure they're sending a, a jet for you or whatever. <laughs> I'm sure the government has yeah, many jets at its disposal. But that's a whole other topic. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, we're, we're coming to, to the end of the session now. But if, if anyone's listening to this, especially if they're like a, like a, a young person and they're saying, I think I want to get into physiotherapy as a career. I've, I'm listening to this. I want to, 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 to do what Jacinta's doing and, and helping athletes and, and just working in the industry. What, what advice would you give them? How do they get started? It's pretty interesting, actually. A lot of physios will discourage others from getting into this profession. Uh, it, there's challenges to it, no doubt. Um, uh, you know, and some of those come down to funding and, and some of those come down to sort of hierarchy and health and medicine. Uh, but in all honesty, you know, I've, I've had a fantastic career. It's given me a massive amount. I, I continue to love what I do. Um, and, and so I'd happily encourage anyone that uh, is in that space that wants to get involved into physio um, to get involved. What I would say is uh, make the most of any opportunity that comes along your way. And if you do that, you'll, you'll end up getting to where you want to get to. And uh, if you don't and you expect things to fall on your lap, it's, it's not a it's not a career or a profession that that things necessarily come easy, um, but uh, certainly to travel the world, to um, work with amazing people, to help people achieve their goals, and and get some real satisfaction out of that on a daily basis. Whether it's you know an eighty year old lady getting back into the garden or an elite athlete in Olympics, I mean that's that's a pretty special part of someone's life you get to be um, involved in, and and so I can't I can't complain at all. I'd have to say. No, definitely. I think uh, everything that that you do, both personally and and physios everywhere, I think it's amazing. And uh, I don't think I've even told you this, Jacinta, but um, and this isn't an advert because I haven't even told you. Um, Obviously, I've been going to to your physio um, for almost a year now. I did the uh, the Taronga Half Marathon, the Mount Half Marathon, a couple of weeks ago. One hour, 21. So, um, and yeah, and that's... um, there you go. That's a, a testimony to your physios putting me back together time and time again. It's the best thing about being 40, to be honest, being in a new age category. And I came second. So um, so that's it. Hooray for 40. Uh, but I, I think you all, I know in particular, your your practice, your whole team, you do do you work miracles you uh, if you put broken down people like me back together and, and get them <laughs> running pbs at 40 then you do do amazing things so um so thank you um before we finish we do have the secret question okay now this is a tradition here on taming the ferrets <laughs> that the previous guest gets to write down a question and ask uh, that question of the current guest so here in the secret question book okay. i have the question for you i have that feels even, like pressure for, for me thinking up a question afterwards yes as well. exactly <laughs> <laughs> so i haven't even read this myself okay. so the question for you is i always have to stop to read this in uh, <laughs> in my head first what would you say has been the greatest achievement in your life and how has that affected you? Wow, okay. Well, I mean, I think I'd say that's pretty hard to say that's work when I've had three awesome kids and I've, and I've got a um, fantastic husband, so I'd have to say my, my personal life is um, probably the most important and certainly my greatest achievement uh, to date and... Um, you know, I think that affects everything that I do from a work perspective. Uh, from a work perspective, I'd say that's uh, making it to World Cups and, and Olympic Games. Certainly that's the highlight of uh, my working life. 
And and the flip side of that is I've had an awesome business for 18 years. I get to work with awesome people every day. And and so it's pretty hard to put that down as not being a great achievement. So uh, that doesn't really answer that because I think I've given you three. Um, so I've probably cheated a little bit. But uh, to me, those those would be... Um, three things. I'm happy, I'm healthy, and, I, and I've got great family and friends. And, and I think when it comes down to it, if you don't have that, it's, uh, it's a lot harder to have uh, any achievements in life mean anything. Amazing. I could not have said it better myself. Jacinta, thank you so much for, for coming into Taming the Ferrets today. If, if anyone ever needs, uh, needs a physio, wants to reach out to your business, get in touch, how do they find you? Oh, just uh, look us up on Google, uh, send us an email, give us a phone call. Um, we're certainly uh, out there in the social media space as we need to be as well. So uh, check us out. We've got lots of people that do uh, work in really different areas. So, so we cover the majority of aspects of um, physio work and uh, love to work in that space. So uh, give us a buzz. No, absolutely. I know uh, I know you guys are at berettaphysio.co.nz. As I say myself, I can personally uh, testify to what amazing things you and your team do. So thank you for everything. Thank you for being here on Taming the Ferrets. And we would love to have you back for a part two uh, in the near future. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Like what you hear? Don't forget to follow us on social media at Taming the Ferrets and to give us five stars on your podcast provider. We're New Zealand's best kept secret, but don't be afraid of sharing us with the world. This has been a WTF experience. Discover more of your favourite shows and learn how to launch your very own podcast at wtfproductions.nz. 